Blog Talk Radio.
to the receiver catching the ball, and we just have to mark down each one of those steps and what was happening during that specific pass play. So are you watching highlights or, like, uh, some type of film when you're doing this? Yeah, so right now what we're doing is we're just taking a a game. Um, Last week it was Oklahoma versus Oklahoma State. This week it's the playoff game. the well which one i haven't started yet so it's off the top of my head i think it's philadelphia versus minnesota and then the week before we had probably one of your favorite games of all time and new orleans and minnesota last year's playoff game um so (laughs) sorry to bring that up on you um yeah i i appreciate that that's uh you know i'm gonna Go ahead and schedule a, schedule a counseling appointment right now. I thought I was over that, but um, yeah, that I I could you know I felt that I felt that, and I'm not even a Saints fan, so I can only imagine what you went through. That just seeing that whole game again and seeing well, I won't go into details, but um, so <laughs> thanks. I'll spare you the details on that one. Um, so yeah, that's basically what we do for. That's basically what I do for PFF. Um, I'm also in another department, but I don't want to bore everybody to death about what I do for a living. No, I think that's fascinating. So to me, like, um, my curiosity is just going all over the place as you're saying this. And, I, you know, we didn't talk about this before. So uh, this is just all my personal reactions. So as you're going through that, is there anything specific? I assume you were looking at Baker Mayfield. Um, and I assume you were looking at the quarterback play there in Philly and, you know, obviously then again now in, um, in Minnesota, which Kirk Cousins is going to be there, but I, I assume you're looking at some of the systems and interesting that you covered Philly and Minnesota because Kirk Cousins going there, obviously he's going to have the weapons, but a lot of the philosophies from Philly are apparently going to be a part of what he's doing. Is there anything that, jumped out at you or did anybody go up in your mind in terms of who you were valuing for fantasy football or did anybody go down? Were there any just initial reactions? You know, it's, it's hard to to say just because my mind frame isn't really focused on the specific actions of, okay, how does this translate to fantasy football? My brain is sort of just really focused on what, what is happening on the field. So it's, it's, it's not more, it's not an overview. It's sort of like a dissection. So it, if I had the, if if I took that frame of, okay, um, I want to look at this guy and see how well he does overall. Right. Um, And look at him for fantasy value. Then I would look at it differently than how I look at it now. What I could tell you what's interesting, um, speaking of Drew Brees, since he's such a high-profile pro- uh, athlete and, you know, Hall of Famer, of course, is he doesn't go through very many pro- progressions, which was very interesting to me. He's, he, he has almost one focus. Um, obviously, he has different reads, but the progressions um, are are not that much, which means that his head is not going from one side of the field to the other side of the field. He's usually focused on, say, either the right side or the left side. 
Okay, that's really interesting. I wonder if that is – so one of the things that I've always heard from people around here, and I have no idea – this is this is people, local people talking. This isn't you know necessarily people who know the game super well. But one of the things that I've always heard is that Drew Brees does a great job pre-snap, that you know they talk about him being one of the best pre-snap quarterbacks. Do you think that fits into some of that where he kind of has an idea going into it, okay – this is what I'm seeing out there. I'm recognizing it's this coverage. That means I'm going to be looking at this guy that I know is going to be over here, or I, I like the matchup over here with this, with this DB over this receiver. Or do you think it's more scheme that there's something with Sean Payton's scheme that has him looking more uh, cer- certain directions? You know, I, I think it could be both. I think uh, obviously the IQ of Drew Brees, is extremely high. So in that sense, he comes to the line of scrimmage, he previews the defense and sees, okay, I'm not going to go to the right side because they they have uh, a corner, a uh, linebacker, and safety help. So on my one guy. So And I'm just simplifying it a lot here. Uh, so I'm not going to yeah. go to him. But on my other side, I got two guys. I got two wide receivers and man-on-man coverage. Well, there's no deep help down the sidelines, and there is in the zone. There's another linebacker, so I'm gonna I'm gonna toss it up to Ted Ginn because I know Ginn can beat this guy man on man, and there's no safety help. So I think I think it's both. I think of course the scheme helps because it directs Ted Ginn to to go to the post or do a corner route, but. Um, obviously, the major work, the, the dissection has to come from Drew Brees to read the fact that there's only man coverage on Ted Ginn. I know Ted Ginn can beat this guy, and I'm just going to just let Ginn burn it up the field and hit him, you know, 40 yards down the field or whatever, you know, distance that that play is best suited for them. Yeah, that's really cool. I, um, yeah, that's really fascinating definitely interesting to learn about all those things. And yeah, so that game that you mentioned, Saints Vikings, I don't know if I ever told you this part, but it was my, I got a 10 year old son who is just in the last couple of years starting to really get into sports. He loves football. He loves baseball. And, you know, like as a dad, I'm trying not to influence him too much, but at the same time, like I really want him to be, an LSU fan. I really wanted to be a Saints fan. And uh, baseball, I don't care quite as much about because there's not a regional local team. So uh, I have finally really gotten into the Saints this last year. And he was loving Kamara. He just really loved uh, Lattimore, you know, some of those new players. And he was really excited about them. And all of a sudden, he started talking about Drew Brees being one of the best quarterbacks ever. And really exciting. And we go into that game against the Vikings, and there were kind of low expectations. But as the game looked like, wow, the Saints might actually pull this one off, he started talking about, oh, I can't believe this. They're going to go play Philly. And Philly, at at the time, wasn't looking very good. It started looking like, man, they might go to the Super Bowl. And he's getting hyped up. And there was a moment he was like, I am a Saints fan. And then (laughs) when – that ball was thrown up, and Stephon Diggs came down with it. I saw his face go from go from 
this is so amazing to this is the worst day of my life. Oh, and no. where I wasn't sh- where I wasn't sure if my ten year old had really become a Saints fan. The next morning he goes, Dad, it still really hurts when I think about that game last night. And I was like, Okay, yeah, he's officially a fan, and that Absolutely. is exa- that's what fanhood is about, right? I mean, it's, you're gonna yeah. have the ups and all that, but you know, if you're devoted to a certain team, you have a lot more downs than you have ups. Like, let's just be honest. Unless you're the Patriots, I guess, or Alabama football, (laughs) or Golden State Warriors, maybe. Um, But you know, outside of that, the rest of us, you know, you get you get a couple of really good moments, but you deal with a lot of heartache. And so it it was really interesting to see his progression there. And um, he's all in on the Saints this year, so I think we're good. Sounds like he took it really well too. That that's that's awesome. You know he. He he took it well, and he, he he stuck with it, and he said, you know what, no matter what, you know, I'm still going to be a Saints fan because I think you're right. If if he wasn't going to be, if he was just, you know, in the moment, then it wouldn't still bother him the next day, and that's pretty cool. That's right. That's that's, that's a yeah, good story. I like that's right. So, um, so I kind of teased at the beginning that we may have a guest, and you did – all the legwork on getting that set up. And we mentioned it a bit last week, but for anybody who might've missed that, you want to tell them a little bit about who we've got joining us today? Yeah, absolutely. So we have Mr. JJ Burden, who's a nine year wide receiver who was drafted by the Browns. And then I'm sure he'll tell the story about that. Uh, And then played most of his career with the Falcons and Chiefs. He's doing uh, a lot of great stuff out there now. Um, he's a if you're interested in motivation, he's a motivational speaker. He you could find him on YouTube. Uh, a lot of his speeches are not only entertaining and motivational, but they're funny. So it, it's going to be a great pleasure to have him on. I've talked to him here and there on Twitter. Um, he's very personable, very friendly person. And, you know, definitely looking forward to having him on Cross Fingers. You know, it's, we hadn't had the best luck on this show so far, but um, we, we definitely are going to welcome him in um, once he calls. We're resilient, that's for sure. So Absolutely. We will continue to try. So, well, real quick, we could just have a couple of minutes before that. Um, The only major big thing I I think that happened this week was DeMarco Murray announced his retirement, and I was a little shocked by that. I thought, especially amid all of the LaShawn McCoy news, that there may be a spot for him there. I started thinking about other places he might be a good fit. Um, You know, I thought about Baltimore and just other places I thought maybe could use a veteran running back like him. And but no, in the midst of that, he said, I'm done. I'm calling it a career. So what what do you think about that? And I guess, you know, overall, does that help some of those situations where he could have gone in and basically, I don't know, messed up opportunities for a rookie running back? Like maybe uh, could have messed up something and let's say he went to Miami, messed up opportunities for Drake. Does this kind of ultimately help the big picture or um, – just overall, your thoughts on DeMarco Murray announcing his retirement? I was I was surprised myself. I didn't, really didn't expect him to retire. He he didn't have the best of years last season, but 
you could tell that he still had the juice. He still was able to play running back. And I'm sure several of the teams, as you mentioned, were, were interested in having him, but he knows his time. And I got to, I got to respect that. I got to respect the player that says, Hey, this isn't what I need anymore in my life. Um, before I go completely downhill and have this horrible year after horrible year trying to hang on because I can't let it go, I'm going to be able to do this. So that a, I respect B yeah. Uh, he could have came in and crashed almost any party that a team could bring him on. So as you mentioned with Miami, well, things aren't all altogether settled there. You have Kalen Bellage, you have, Kenyon Drake, you have uh, Frank Gore, you have all these um, uh, running backs that really you have no idea have a certain station in in the game that we know of right now. Now, of course, come come preseason in the regular season, it possibly could just be worked out where you have this, you have that, and you have that, and there's your, your roles. And I'm pretty sure that that's going to be the situation. But a throw in uh, Murray in the mix, then all that changes, and it's uh, yeah, I'm sure a lot of a lot of running backs on a lot of teams that have those kind of situations are going. Whew! I'm glad that I don't have to deal with that. Yeah, I agree. And to me, he sounded like a guy who was done. He didn't sound like a guy who, you know, if there's a major injury and gets a phone call, that he'd be he'd be coming back. I mean, maybe there's a possibility um, of, of him changing his mind. You know, things get started back up and he, you know, he gets sentimental and misses it, but he just didn't sound like that to me. He sounded like a guy that was ready to move on. I know he battled some nagging injuries last year and maybe even the year before. So maybe he just got to a place in his career where he says, I'm, I'm done here. And that's, I think that's really respect, respectable for him to say, I had a good run and I'm ready to move on to the next part of my career. Yeah, and I and I definitely think that that was what happened. Um, hopefully, it wasn't anything that we don't know about. Hopefully, you know, it wasn't some kind of injury that uh, he just didn't want to discuss or whatever. But um, as far as what we know, he's he's just decided that was his it was his time, and you know, God yeah. bless and hope. Hopefully, your life is is peaceful. That you know, basically, uh, really, what it comes down to. That's right. So I'll uh, I'll touch on a couple of these, a couple other just news items that I just pulled up, and um, if JJ hops on, just interrupt me, and um, if uh, if not in the next few minutes, then we'll move on to these these wide receivers and start going through them. But I did Sounds see good. that actually just no, go ahead. Oh, okay, yeah. Oh, I was just, I, I, yeah, just perfect. Brandon Cooks, the Rams signed him to a five-year contract, five-year contract extension. So we see about him being three teams in three years and them having trouble. Do you think the Rams are going to regret that? Do you think they should have maybe played that a little? There's, I don't know what incentive they had to go ahead and sign him now, but do you think that that could be something that they get, you know, I don't know, six months into this? arrangement here and realize like, Oh, that's why the saints and Patriots let him go. Or do you think this is a, this is a good shrewd move for them? It's a tough call because I I still don't understand why Patriots and saints 
released them. I, there, there hasn't really been any kind of uh, announcement that he was a horrible player in the locker room or what have you. Uh, couldn't get along with any of the owners, the coaches. You know, wh- whatever the reasons may be, the teams decided that they didn't want him. They had enough of him. And so let's just say he couldn't get along with the coach either coach and he comes in with the Rams and all of a sudden it's a perfect match and they are great together. So maybe they see that and just go, okay, well, you know what? We're planning on hanging on to the coach. Uh, He's obviously gets along with the coach and that was the big issue. Why not? Why not sign him? Um, If, if they feel that they just want him to be part of the team because He's excelled on practices and and training camp and stuff like that and OTAs. And I don't know if he attended the OTA or not, but for whatever demonstrations that he's put on for the Rams, they're like, yeah, we want to build our team around him. He's our number one guy for a long time. Um, You know, he's definitely proved that he's worth it. I just don't, I just, it's just hard to say why he didn't hang on the team. So, whatever those reasons may have been cured with being with the Rams. So it's been a long time since this was uh, something that I was involved in, but uh, I've been happily married now for 10 years. But prior to that, you know, I remember, you know, you'd meet a girl and things would seem like really good. And you're like, wow, I can't believe that her ex-boyfriend would break up with her. Gosh, she's had like, six boyfriends i can't believe they would just let this girl go she's amazing and then you know you get a few months in and you realize oh (laughs) this is why why. like i guess yeah (laughs) like i guess that is my um my that would be my personal hesitancy on making a five-year commitment to brandon cooks there i mean it's not like it's not like he went through the browns and bingles and they got rid of them because they were – I mean, the Saints and Patriots are a pretty good organizations. I mean, they are – certainly the Patriots have a, you know, really long history. But, you know, Saints are managed fairly well in, in that regard, have pretty good leadership. And, um, and yeah, they didn't think he was a good fit. So, you know, I, you look at those two organizations and they passed on them. Hopefully it works out with the Rams. I really like Brandon Cooks, you know, from his time here. I know that he was – I know he liked wanted the ball, but I don't mind that. I like guys who, who want the ball, uh, as long as they're not causing a gigantic problem in the locker room. And hopefully that's not the case. I hope it works out for that Rams team because that team is really set up to be a juggernaut. It could be a lot of fun to watch this year. So, um yeah, so that actually just broke. So I thought thought maybe we could bring that up. And there's also a lot of talk. I don't know if you saw the quotes from um, from Golden Tate about Kenny Galladay talking about how he could just be a, a monster. He said he is a wide receiver one kind of guy, freakish catches. Um, he just had a lot of praise for Kenny Galladay. I know we talked – we maybe discussed him a little bit last week when we were talking about Golden Tate and Marvin Jones, but do you think Kenny Galladay has got that wide receiver one upside? Do you think he's a guy that in dynasty we should be looking to acquire? I think if you're in a standard league, 
Absolutely. I think he has a lot of value. As we've seen with Sam Bradford and uh, Matthew Stafford, not Sam Bradford, uh, with Matthew Stafford and his relationship with Megatron, Kenny Galladay is sort of that same player, someone that can get deep down the field, you can throw the ball up, and he'll catch it. And so we already know that Matthew Stafford can uh, bring that dynamic to the Lions. So with that said, yes, in a PPR league, he's not going to be Calvin Johnson not only catching long bombs but also catching 10 passes and two touchdowns. He's He's going to be catching maybe three catches, uh, 65 yards and a touchdown, which, you know, is, is not bad, but that's not going to happen every single game. So his, his production is going to be far less than what Megatron ever put on the field. Uh, yeah, I really like him in best ball. I think that's where I favor him the most. So if you're in a dynasty base, uh, best ball league, I would be all about Kenny Galladay. Uh, I I just think that's the per- perfect format for him. Yeah, I I, I can see that. I I think Kenny Galladay, you know, obviously a great training camp and preseason last year, and a lot of hype about him. He struggled with injuries, but um, a lot of talent. Would love to see it materialize. But this this is one of those moments where you get a little bit of hype like that. If that hype starts to build and you can flip him for someone, because there's a lot of targets there already in Detroit, and nothing is really promised. A lot of it is just potential right now. I, I like I like him, but if I can get some really good value for him, if I can get a couple of draft picks, maybe a future pick or something like that in there for him and get in on one of these rookie running backs or something like that, then – that's that's something I think I might be interested in doing. This is one of those where you get the hype machine pumping on a guy like this, and I start looking to sell. So yeah, and that's one of the things that is perfect. If if you really are in a PPR league and people are clamoring for him, then you could just be like, yeah, you know, he's the next Megatron. He's just going to be the blowout machine and. I, I just can't can't wait that long to to have him work out or or I need to clear room on my bench so yeah if you if you want him you know I'll, I'll be ha- I'll be you know not liking to let him go but it's what I gotta do and <laughs> right and just let go. him go for it play the game yep that's right that's that, and that's part of it I mean that really is you know when you're when you're playing dynasty fantasy football or fantasy baseball or any of those, I mean, you are, there's going to be highs and there's going to be lows, you know, don't be one of those owners that doesn't, doesn't have an opinion and just goes with, with public opinion. A lot of times, as they say in Vegas, if you go with the public, you're probably going to be wrong. So I think that's, you know, one of those things that, uh, again, I'm not saying that he doesn't have a chance, but, He's got to do it this year. I, it, it'd be hard for me to imagine that he, you know, struggles through another in, injury-filled season and eventually still dies. I feel like he's got this year. He's got to put something together that looks like a dominant wide receiver, or I'm gonna have a hard time trusting him ever. I think about guys like, like Rashad Perryman, 
and guys like that where there's a lot of hype. There's a lot of, you know, excitement on a guy like that. I think this is a make or break year for a guy like Mike Williams and other guys like that. So, uh, in fact, speaking of a lot of those wide receivers, if uh, J.J. still hasn't called in yet, then maybe we'll start working our way through our, our teams and see how many of these we can tackle. What do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's do that. All right, so the format today, we're going to try – it's going to be a little bit more quick hits. We get it in-depth through – seem like maybe the first 50, 40 or 50 wide receivers on ADP, and we're going to talk about – Maybe maybe it's 36. Maybe it's the top three uh, wide receiver one, two, and three. So today, to give a little bit more structure to it, I uh, Mike and I talk, and we we're going to go through team by team and discuss some of these other wide receivers. We're not going to discuss everybody. There's not a whole lot of value that's going to be added by discussing Chad Williams over in Arizona, but we're going to discuss the guys that you need to know, the guys that we think are worth adding late in your dynasty league or looking to make a trade as a, as a throw in. Uh, and we'll value these guys differently as we go through and tell you what we think about them. But um, yeah, so we're going to start, I'm just going to go down alphabetically and hopefully I'll give a chance. Everybody can follow along really well and, and see what we think here. So we'll start right there in Arizona with the Arizona Cardinals. Got Sam Bradford, maybe Josh Rosen as a quarterback. We discussed their top target. Larry Fitzgerald, and behind him there are there's at least one interesting name. I'd be curious to see how many of these are interesting to you. But behind Larry, there's JJ Nelson, Christian Kirk, Bryce Butler coming over from Dallas, and then Chad Williams. Which one of those guys, if any, are you interested in, and what kind of price are you paying for them? You know, I I think of all those, I I really had a lot of hopes for JJ, but he just you just didn't pan out. So you got to move on from him. Um, and the one person, of course, that leaves is Christian Kirk, the rookie. And it's, you know, it's just, oh, I don't, I don't know how much, how much room there's going to be. I know that the Cardinals are going to want to run the ball quite a bit. And it's, um, which means that there's probably only room for one receiver, and of course that's that's uh, Larry Fitzgerald. Um, and so with with Christian Kirk, I, I just I just don't know. He's definitely going to be someone you're going to want to draft in your dynasty leagues because you know he's a rookie and he has a good value, and he's a good receiver. I just don't know if he's going to pan out this year. Yeah, I think. I think that's the key is how does Josh Rosen develop? Because I could, I could absolutely see Josh Rosen developing really well. I think in fact of everybody that I've talked to, I think you're even the highest on him. And so I think you would agree that he's got an opportunity to develop really well. And Christian Kirk growing with him, learning from Larry Fitzgerald. I, that's the, I mean, that is a pressure cooker of immense opportunity for him to, grow and become everything that everybody thinks that he could be. And there's a lot of, a lot of hype. So I'm a hundred percent with you. I'm definitely looking for Christian Kirk in dynasty drafts. I've come away with him in one so far was trying to get him in uh, the other one that I did, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, my expectations for him for this season are low because I think Ricky Seals Jones probably is second in targets on this team, but 
yeah, I think he's he's got he's going to have some opportunity, maybe a little bit of growing pains this year, getting the quarterback situation figured out. But I think as Josh Rosen goes, he probably goes too. Yeah, and um, what I want to do right now is welcome the great receiver, um, as we talked about earlier, Mr. J.J. Burden. How you doing, sir? Hey, what's up, guys? Sorry I'm late. I, w- I was on a video conference call, and I totally like shocked. I lost track of time, so glad I could join you. Oh, we're glad that you can join us, too, and no worries. We totally understand how that, uh, how that works out. Um, you know, the, the, one, the one question that I've been dying to ask you, um, and we've talked a little bit here and there on Twitter, but uh, the one question that I really, really uh, is interested is in um, your relationship with the great Hall of Fame coach, uh, Marty Schottenheimer. I was wondering if you can go into some details about that and how your career started, started that way. Yeah, Marty definitely played a, uh, a huge role on my NFL career because Marty was the one who drafted me when he was in Cleveland. When I was in, when he was in Cleveland, and you know, as as you guys probably remember, you know, football wasn't really my goal. I wasn't trying to get to the NFL. I was a track and field guy, and but when Marty wanted, you know, Marty saw something in me, I guess, at the combine because guys, I didn't have a very impressive college career. I think my senior year, I caught 28 balls and I had one touchdown. You know, so those are not your prototypical NFL, you know, stats for a college athlete coming into the league. But Marty took a shot on me, and, and I obviously I had the injury in Cleveland. I tore up my ACL, but he never gave up on me. And I think when Marty went to Kansas City, it was like as soon as Cleveland cut me, he was the first one to call me and to, hey, I'd love to get you on our team there in Kansas City. And, um, you know, unfortunately I went out there and, I had a great workout, but they wanted to put me on the practice squad and had a couple other teams that wanted to activate me. And and um, I still had some swelling in my knee, so I didn't sign with the Chiefs or anybody, and I had to go home and rehab some more. And I ended up signing with the Cowboys that year. But as soon as the season was over, there was Marty calling me again. You know, He's like, I know you've got to be 100%. I go, yeah, Coach, I'm, I'm, I'm in great shape now. And, and he signed me with Casey that year, and, and I remember when he signed me in 1990. A lot of people don't know this. So um, I had a great offseason. I had a great training camp. I ran a 4-3 in mini camp. I mean, I was kind of the talk of the camp because I was this, you know, this free agent and nobody really knew who I was. I just was recovering from a knee surgery. And, and um, I should have made the team, but I ended up getting cut. And uh, when I got cut, Marty called me to his office and he said, hey, you know how the business is. You know, we got a couple draft choices. They got to make the team. He said, but, kid, you should be on this team, so I need you to hold tight. Don't go anywhere. Don't do anything for two weeks. He said, promise me you won't sign with another team. And I remember telling him, okay, Marty, I'm not going to go anywhere. And I sat there. I remember working out in Lee Summit, Missouri, and at the high school and just staying in shape and and then two weeks went by, and I hadn't heard from Marty yet. And at the time, I had just got married. My wife was pregnant. We had a honeymoon baby, so she was pregnant. And, guys, I didn't have very much money because when you're on developmental squad for the Cowboys, you yeah. don't make that much money. So by the time I went through another year, I had very little money. I remember having $240 in my bank account. And I called wow. Marty, and I said, Marty, I've, the, the, the Packers have called, Detroit's called, teams are calling me, I need a job. And Marty goes, hold up, kid. 
just don't do anything. I'm going to get you on this team. And he said, come by my office. So I went to his office, and Marty pulls out his wallet. See, a lot of people don't know this. Marty was a pretty great guy. He pulls out his wallet. He gives me $200, and he said, will this get you through the weekend? And I go, yeah, it'll get me through the weekend. And that weekend they were playing, I forgot who it was, but I remember Pete Manley, who had a really good NFL career, but that particular game, he made a couple mental um, um, assignment mistakes. They cut him the next day, they brought me in, and the rest was history. You know, and, and it was, and I never forgot that because Marty never gave up on me. He, he held true to this promise. And he gave me a fair shot because think about this, guys. I'm 5'10", 157 pounds. Even when I was with the Chiefs, I never saw myself as a starter. I was just, I'm a backup. I'm a backup. And then in that Raiders game, when they played me a lot, I had 188 yards, two touchdowns at 57, 52 yards. Now Marty's got me in the offense and he's saying, how would you like to be a starter in the NFL? And I'm like, huh, really? I'm just trying to make the team. Now you want to start me? But Marty gave me my shot. Yeah, and I started the rest of my NFL career. So, so yeah, I, you know, Marty played a key role, as I said. But Marty never gave up on me, and that's what I appreciate because sometimes in life you don't always believe in yourself because I had my doubts. But sometimes you have to borrow the belief of other people until you gain your own belief. So there were some times I had to borrow Marty's belief in me before I truly believed in myself. Now, I, I know you're a great motivation speaker. I think one of the things that you do so well is not only do you just tell it as it is, which I think is very important, especially just coming from my opinion, you know, um, you tell it as it is, and then you put in uh, humor in with, with, with your speaking uh, uh, and what you're saying, and I think that's just such a great mix. Do you, do you think that Schottenheimer sort of um, – in, inspired you, I guess. I mean, I guess you are saying that, but but how much of an inspiration was he towards you um, in doing what you're doing now? Well, I believe he definitely played a role there too because I have, you know, I've had a lot of coaches over the years. I mean, think about when I was in Oregon. I had Rich Brooks. I was part of the Track Town USA. And Oregon's got a very famous track program, and Bill Dillinger, and you know, and then. Cleveland and Dallas, Jimmy Johnson, his first year in Dallas and in Atlanta. But I got to tell you, all the coaches I ever had, I never had a coach who could motivate his players the way he could, like Marty Schottenheimer. He was a very good motivator. And I remember, you know, in his meetings early on, I was like, God, this, this guy, and he knows this stuff. He knows what to say. And I remember guys starting to take notes and writing down his little quotes and his little sayings because he had a way of getting the players to do more, be more, achieve more, to really get you to dig down deep and go the extra mile. And I was always impressed with his ability to tap into somebody's heart, into their head, and get them to perform at a higher level. So I think as a speaker, you know, I try to do the same thing when I speak to different audiences. I'm trying to – I'm trying to tap into their heart, into their head, to help them understand it doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what their circumstances are. If you want this, if you want to achieve this, you can. But here's what it's going to take. And so as a speaker, I, I think I'm able to do that, and, and I'm living proof. I'm the, you know, talk to talk, walk to walk. I've lived it. So I try to convey that to those I speak to as well. And right now we're speaking with the great uh, Mr. J.J. Burden, and – what what is it about 
say speaking comparably to writing the book, and you, you wrote the fantastic book, When Opportunity Knocks, Eight Surefire Ways to Take Advantage. What, what are those, those differences that you have to go to? Because obviously when you're speaking, you're, you're up there on stage. You can use mm-hmm. your body language. Writing now, of course, is pen and paper, and that's all you got. So I was wondering if you can go into so, so your book a little bit and explain those differences. Yeah, definitely a big difference. Like you said, you know, writing a book versus being on the stage, there's a difference. But, but the two work together. When I launched my speaking career, I, needed, I wanted to write a book because I wanted to be an authority figure on a subject. And I wanted to be able to have that down on paper so that people can read it, anybody can read it. But at the same time, it kind of validated me as a speaker. You know, when you're a speaker, you're, you're a speaker. And then when you're a speaker who's an author and then who's an Amazon best-selling author, it adds more credibility. But uh, some of the content that's in my book, I use in my presentation. Not all of it, but some of it is. So um, it was nice writing the book because I, I got the offer to have a ghostwriter, but I don't want a ghostwriter. I, I wanted to write it. I wanted to, those words to be my words that are pinned on that piece of paper. Now, obviously, I hired an editor who could clean it up and make it more grammatically correct, but it's my words. And so when you're on stage, the content in the book, it's, it's your words. And so it's so easy for me to be able to take content from that book and to be able to convey it to people. But at the same time, what I love as a speaker is that when you played in the NFL, you guys know that's the highest level, the best of the best, 1,696 men every year on an active NFL roster. And you think about how many people are playing this game. That's a very elite group. And the journey to the NFL, the time I spent there, I learned so much. There's so many lessons and success tips that I basically used to, trans, to help me transition into life after football. So a lot of those lessons I learned in training camp and in meetings and dealing with obstacles and dealing with challenges and dealing with fear, people deal with that in the real world. So I just take those concepts and then I make them relatable to my audience. And I'm speaking to different, a lot of corporate, you know, corporations and so forth, but, you know, I can make it relatable to them. And, guys, it's all the same thing. Everybody wants to be good. Everybody wants to be the best. Everybody wants to achieve a goal. Everybody wants to elevate their performance in some way. Everybody deals with obstacles. Everyone deals with doubt. You know, many, many, many people hit success, and some people deal with complacency. So I get to teach these things that I live as an athlete and convey it to those in my audience. And I love it. And I really love it because I'm passionate about it because I lived it. <laughs> I, I, when someone asks me, what is it like, what is it like to be afraid? You know, you're in a business meeting, you're going to give a big presentation. What do you do with fear? And I can tell them, you know what it was like as a player when I had to line up and then I got to hit junior stay out. Who's 260 pounds, a hundred pounds more than me. <laughs> I said, yes, I was afraid. I, afraid but let me tell you something as a pro you strap it up and you go do your best you don't let fear paralyze you you know so I can take those real life lessons and make them into everyday lessons for them as well so yeah I love what I do and and I sort of I sort of want to take a glimpse of of sort of your playing career and I I just saw this video and it sparked so many memories uh, of watching you play but the one thing that I, I, I still love today was watching you in the playoff game against the Steelers, lining up man-on-man with Rod Woodson and 
giving him the good old sluggo route and having him trailing mm-hmm. behind you and making that great diving catch for a touchdown. Um, I, I, I just, it just blows me away still. What, what I want to know is, since that was such a great route you run, what do you see in receivers that make the difference between someone that's a great route runner and someone who's, you know, average or below? Well, what I see is like one thing is everybody's fast. You know, receivers have good speed. You've got to be, you know, four or five or below to play in the NFL as a wide receiver. And the difference between, I think, the good route runners and the bad route, route, route runners is because everybody knows how to run a route. You learn that stuff in high school and college. By the time you get to the pros, you know how to run a route. But the key is it's the guys who can play fast, meaning it's the guys who can run those routes fast and not lose momentum as they're making their breaks and as they're cutting and turning and all that. That's really the difference between a good route running receiver and a bad one. Because when you see a guy, and I saw guys who ran 4'3", 4'4", 4'5", but when they ran their routes, they ran 4'7", or 4'8". You know, and as, mm. a, as a guy who ran a 4-3, I used to always say, play fast. I would try to run my route as a guy who runs 4-3. Because when you do that, that's how you create separation. That's how you, you have those openings that the quarterback can close the ball to you because the DBs are such great athletes. The DBs are incredible technicians, but they've got the speed too. So when you watch receivers, I always say, watch and see how they get out of their break. Do they slow down or do they speed to their break? When they get that separation, can they keep the separation? And that is really one of the differences between a good route runner in the NFL versus an average route runner. And a lot of times you guys can't see that unless they show the replays. But as pro athletes, when we sit there and watch the film and we see all the different angles, we can see who's playing fast and who's not playing fast. Yeah, and that's a great point. I love I love that 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 that's um, exactly you know playing. If if you keep that momentum, then you obviously have what it takes. But if you're slowing down, then guess what? That DB is going to be on you quicker than quick. So yeah, yeah. One, I, we used to always say I, we used to always say get separation and keep separation because some guys could like get that. the separation, but they couldn't keep it. But the guys who are really good, like watch Antonio Brown. I watch, I see him on Insta Story. I'm watching him train. That guy is quick. He's fast. He's in and out of the break. He gets separation and he keeps separation. And he's a four-five guy, but he can run his routes at about four-five, and that's one of the differences in his game. And that's a great point. He was drafted. I can't. I think in the fifth, or sixth round, and you were drafted yeah. late in your career as well, and those are the differences like you're saying is is okay you might be drafted late but if you can run around and do what you can do then it might not not matter where you're getting drafted at because you can play the game exactly absolutely right it's it's like i always tell people just just get your foot in the door you know just if you can get your foot in the door then you have an option you got a shot and when i tore up my knee and track was done and I had that year on IR, guys. I, was, I still didn't – I was like, oh, I don't think I'm going to play in the NFL. But during that year, I realized I can do this. I got my foot in the door. Now I need to take advantage of it. And so and – and unfortunately, I see guys who get their foot in the door and they don't take advantage of it. But 
as you said, Tony, Antonio Brown didn't. He did. He took advantage of it. People did not see him as a top player. They didn't, you know, he didn't have the numbers, you know, the speed, the quickness and all that. But what they did know, and this is about me too, they didn't know how bad he really wanted it. They didn't know how hungry I wanted, really wanted it. And that's something you can't measure. Yeah, a heart, heart, you know, and that, mm-hmm. I love it. And that's what's so inspiring. And I think that's what's, that's what's so great about your speeches and stuff like that is you can actually see that. You, so you're, you're, you're not only bringing that heart to the field, but you're also bringing it to the stage. And that's what gravitates people. People want to see that. And, you know, both not only were you great on the field, but you were also great as a motiva- motivational speaker. So um, perfect. Now I have one more question for you, and then I'll, I'll hand you over to uh, my cohort, uh, Cal. And my last question okay. for you is you played uh, with Steve DeBerg and, of course, Dave Craig, all great in their own right, but then you got Joe Montana. And I was wondering what was it like for you to play with not only Joe Montana but another Hall of Famer in Marcus Allen? Yeah, that was pretty cool. I mean, that was um... – when people ask me what was the highlight of your career, I mean, obviously there's moments, there's the diving catch against Woodson, there's my first touchdown, but, you know, having the opportunity to be in the huddle with Marcus Allen and Joe Montana, I mean, two of the greatest, you know, athletes to play the game, that was a thrill. I mean, especially Joe Montana, I used to watch him in the eighth grade, you know, throw touchdown passes in San Francisco. Now I look to my left, there's Joe Montana in the huddle, you know, so – um, but it was really, for me, though, and now being a speaker, and I'm, I'm a high achiever. I want to be the best at anything I do. So the two years Joe was there, all I thought was success leaves clues. Success leaves clues. Let's see what we can learn from Joe. And I watched like a hawk, how he trained, how he prepared, how he studied, you know, and, and, I, and I saw the differences. I saw what made him great and how he prepared as a quarterback and how he could break the huddle and quickly know whether they were in the right defense or the right offensive play or not and know what play to go to. And when Joe joined our team and made me step up my game in terms of I better make sure I know all my audibles because Joe was ready to change the play. So he lifted me as a player from a preparation standpoint and even from a route running standpoint because all the quarterbacks I played with usually would throw the ball right right when you were open, like a millisecond before you got open. Well, Joe would throw the ball way before you got open. He was throwing it to an area, and when you turned around, the ball was right there. I mean, from the very first practice and me running an X hook, and he hit me in the back of the head with the ball, and I was like, what's the deal? And Joe's like, hey, JJ, you know, here's how I do this. I've already read the defense. I know where the hole is. So when I take my fifth step, I'm throwing it. So I expect you to be in that hole, and you got to get your head around faster. And I was thinking about all the quarterbacks I played with. I played with Chris Miller at Oregon, you know, who went to the NFL. And, oh, yeah. and obviously, the Bernie Kosar and Gary Danielson and Trey Aikman. I never had a quarterback say that to me and then execute like that. So, so there were little things that he did that you could tell what made him so great. That's awesome. And I'll take it from you. You know, I'm my personal fan opinion uh, – Johnny Unitas and Peyton Manning are the greatest, but uh, since you played with with Joe Montana, I might have to change my mind there. Um, (laughs) So um, I'm going to pass you off to Cal. Uh, Cal, do you have any questions? Yeah. Hey, JJ. 
I appreciate you guys, you coming on to talk to us today. Thanks, Cal. Hey, uh, so I'll pick up right there and piggyback on what Mike was asking about. Looks like you did play with some pretty interesting characters and looks like maybe even Bill Musgrove in college, if I'm reading that yeah. correct. And sure. uh, yep. one guy you, you didn't mention who maybe, to me, might be the most colorful character. He's a little bit of a legend here in New Orleans. Uh, I'm kind of curious on your interaction with Bobby Bear. Did you play with him in Atlanta? Yeah, I sure did. Yeah, I really liked Bobby. Bobby was a character. You're right. He was one. He was a great guy, and he was a jokester. He was one of those guys that was always cracking jokes. He had that really deep Cajun accent, which was the first time I heard someone speak with a Cajun accent to where like I had trouble at times understanding him in the huddle, and we used to kind of tease him. I remember Eric Metcalf and, and Terrence Mathis and, you know, Craig Hayward, we were like, Bobby, can you say it slower? You know, because we didn't understand a lot of things. But, but what I liked about Bobby was, because when I played in Atlanta, you know, I didn't have a – Atlanta was not a great experience for me. And, and it's funny because I really wanted to run in the run and shoot. But when I got there, I realized that, hey, there's only one football. And, you know, not everybody's getting the ball. And I had like 36 catches and then – I think Eric Metcalf had 100, and Terrence Mathis had 90, and then Bert Emanuel had 86. And one of the reasons why was because Jeff George was the quarterback. And Jeff was a great guy. He had an unbelievable arm. But when Jeff dropped back, he would always look for the first guy, and maybe number two, and he would roll right. And he would always roll right. And I was on the backside left. So Jeff was always looking right. So I didn't catch a lot of balls because he was always going to the right side. But when Bobby came in, I remember when Jeff got hurt, I loved it when Bobby came in because Bobby would roll back and then he would look backside to me. So I would start catching up a lot of balls because Bobby as a veteran understood that if number one, number two is not right, ready, you go backside to the X. And so I always appreciate it when Bobby came in because I thought, okay, I'm going to start catching some balls now because Bobby's always going to get it to me. That's really cool. And I'm from here and I can just tell you like, I also, if I'm listening to him on doing play-by-play for a Saints game, there are many times I am asking the radio for him to slow down as well. So I understand where you're coming <laughs> from on that, even being from here. So now well, I, think we used to call him the, I, think, I think we used to I'm call sorry. him the Raging, the Raging Cajun, I think was his nickname. <laughs> that and the Cajun Rocket, I think, are the two nicknames I've heard yeah. on him. So. Cool. Very cool, and there's a lot of really cool things in your career. Uh, obviously, you guys talked a lot about the football ones. I saw you got uh, in, inducted into the Oregon Hall of Fame for track and field, which is really cool. You're, I'm sure, very rewarding in your motivational speaking and being an author, but one of the things that jumped out to me as probably the most impressive out of all those things, you've got three children and you adopted five. Talk about what it's like there. Like, obviously, I'm a big proponent of, of adoption. Is that something that has just always been on your heart, or is, is that something that you just saw a need and got compassionate about to fulfill? Or what, what has adoption meant to you and your family? Well, yeah, that is um, that is definitely, definitely been a rewarding experience. And I can't tell you that that's something that's always been in my heart. It was just one of those moments when you're back against the wall and you got to make a decision. And my my nieces and nephew who lived in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and and they were going to be placed in five separate foster homes. And I flew out there and 
I was the next of kin, and I just, you know, it's like it's like gut check time. You you got to make a decision. And I talked to my wife, and we, we it took us five minutes to make that decision, and we just said let's take them all because we saw it as an opportunity to impact five more lives, and we wanted to give them the opportunity to to you know to. To, to live under different circumstances and, and have some chances to do something else. And so, um, yeah, so our family went from a family of five to a family of ten overnight. It was There were some adjustments periods in there, but it turned out to be pretty exciting. Um, the kids are all growing up now. We've got a couple of them married. We only have two left in the house, but we have no regrets. It was We have no regrets because I know we definitely – have impacted their lives. But you know what, guys? It's also impacted our lives, too, because it's about serving and giving and helping other people, and, and that's what we've been able to do. And I love sharing that story, too, guys, when I'm speaking on the road, because I always try to impress upon people that think about the lives you can impact, because no matter what business you are, you're impacting people's lives in some capacity. And, and um, But, yeah, I appreciate you bringing that. A lot of people don't know that, you know, but uh, – that was definitely uh, one of those moments where your back's against the wall, you got to call an audible, and you got to run with the play. And that's basically what we did. That's really cool. I appreciate you sharing that. And I'll finish up with a uh, football question. And yeah, you mentioned your size. You mentioned being a uh, smaller wide receiver in the NFL at 157 pounds. And I know for a while there, the NFL went to the gigantic wide receivers, and it seemed like everybody was looking for the next Calvin Johnson and those larger guys, but it seems like recently there's been a little bit of a detour back to some of the smaller wide receivers that are playing faster. And you mentioned Antonio Brown. I think he's a big part of that shift. Who are some of your favorite wide, like when you on Sunday, you know that a certain team is playing, you know, there are certain matchups. Who are some of your favorite wide receivers that are must see TV for you? Well, I would definitely say the guy that I'm continuing to be more and more impressed with is Tariq Hill. And I'm not saying that because he's a chief. I'm, I'm saying that because, you know, this guy comes in there his rookie year. He's not a true, true wide receiver, learns the position, makes big play after big play his first year, and I'm like, okay, that was the first year. Now we're going to see what he's made of because it's that sophomore year that's, that's key. Can he continue to advance? Can he continue to get better? Can he continue to master his game? And he did. I mean, he played even better last year. So I'm, I'm so impressed because you don't see a lot of guys with that kind of speed playing that fast and producing consistently the way they are, the way they are. And, he, and he's done that. So I'm very impressed with him because he's a guy that when he gets the ball, you know, he's got a chance to break it. And in the NFL where everybody's great, everyone's a great athlete, and there's a, there's a, a level playing field from a physical standpoint, he definitely has a competitive advantage. Um, so I would say him, but I also have a lot of respect for Antonio Brown because, like you said earlier, he's not a, a burner. He wasn't a top draft choice, but the guy works hard. I watched this guy on Instagram stories, and, man, he's working hard. He works so hard. And, again, being consistent, producing some pretty amazing numbers. So I would certainly say him. And then, and then after that, I probably would lean towards – I probably would say I'm going to go ahead and give some to Odell Beckman because, you know, the guy can produce. The guy's a great athlete, you know, and, and he's a player. And, yeah, I, I would love to see some of the off-the-field antics kind of 
subside, but when the guy is on the field, he can certainly play. And so uh, I have a lot of respect for those players too because I know what it's like to play every Sunday. And I know what it's like when you're a good player and teams start game planning to stop you. They start rolling coverage to you. And those guys I mentioned are still producing big numbers. So that's, that's got to say a lot about them as athletes. Yeah. And I, and I totally agree. Um, and I, I just wanted to, t- to say thank you very much, uh, JJ, for coming on. I really appreciate your time. Um, I was just wondering if you'd like to um, – now it's where where uh, people can find you on on social media. What what you may be up to that you'd like to share, um, anything like that. Um, the floor is yours. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you guys having me on and and giving me the opportunity to share. But yeah, I encourage everyone go to my website jjburden.com. You can learn more about me as a speaker. Um, I work with a health and wellness company called Isogenics, so I'm in the health and wellness too. Um, but you can order my book there. And, and I also have something called the burden report where once a month I write out a motivational uh, newsletter and it's, it's really for everyone. As you can see, my content's very generic. I want to help people perform at their best. And so you can sign up for my newsletter when they do, they get my free gift and that's the top eight takeaways from playing with Joe Montana. So some really good tips there. And, and, guys, um, let's stay in contact because I'm in the early stages of planning out book number two. So oh, I'm awesome. excited about – yeah. Yeah, I'm having – and my first book I actually self-published, but I'm actually having conversations with the publisher, and I'm probably going to work with the publisher. And I have a pretty good idea of the direction I'm going to go in, so I'm really excited about writing my second book. Oh, I, I'm looking forward to your second book. Um, I enjoyed the first, and uh... – so I'm going to be pumped, and I'll definitely be looking for that. And everybody, yeah, do me a favor. Look up J.J. Burden, YouTube, wherever you need to go to, get, to find him. He's, he's one, one unique and wonderful person. So thank you, J.J., for coming on, and definitely looking forward to your works. All right, guys. Appreciate you guys, and keep up the good work, and enjoy the season this year. Thank you very much. You too. All right. Bye now. So that that. That was the great J.J. Burden. Um, as you can tell, he's he's one of a kind, and we definitely appreciate him being on. And it's it's unique, unique how how well someone who is not only in the in the spotlight of being a pro wide receiver, but also someone who's is saying, you know what? Yeah, I, I gave I gave while playing football. But I'm also going to give to not only children, um, and I'm also going to keep giving giving back to motivation and those things like that. So it's it's really really great to see someone um, so giving. We're very few in this world that are are that way. The um, yeah, Cal had had to go, um, so we're going to cut this a little short uh, and. You can find me at RFL Red Zone, and you can find Cal at Dino Calf Cal, D-Y-N-O-C-A-S-T-C-A-L. Thank you very much for joining us today, and we'll see you on the other end.